You ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Oklahoma podcast, and this is Dr. Ogunsoya, and today I have a guest on the show, and i um, super excited for this opportunity to share her story. She completed her allopathic medical education and master's in public health with a focus on epidemiology at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center here in Oklahoma City. This is about six years ago. After then, she completed her general psychiatric residence training and at Louisiana State University in Shreveport, Louisiana. She's also since practiced in Illinois and Tulsa, Oklahoma, where she's currently based at the Oklahoma State University Center for Health Sciences. Her clinic duties are um, based on at the Tulsa Center for Behavioral Health, which is a state-operated facility here in Tulsa. And since completing her training um, in general psychiatry, she's finding herself wanting to re-engage with research career. So that's definitely something we plan to explore on today's podcast episode. Her research interests include treatment refractory psychotic symptoms, particularly delusions in individuals with schizophrenia. She's excited to collaborate with folks across institutions, especially those involved with the OSCTR. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Noen Safaraz to the podcast. Hello, Dr. Safaraz. Hi. All right, so let's just get started from the fundamental questions. Just telling us, you know, um, your journey, how, where were you born and how did you find yourself in your current role? Yeah. I was born and raised in Lahore, Pakistan. And then as a family, we immigrated to the United States. I was the first one to stay and complete my education and then my family later all came. I did my undergraduate on in the Northeast and then came to Oklahoma, got my medical degree at OU, uh, College of Medicine, and then also obtained a master's in public health with a focus in EPI uh, at the you know, College of Public Health and moved after that, you know, I did the standard, standard route. I completed a a general psychiatry residency program. My interest clinically, as well as research-wise, has always been with the SMI population, so the seriously mentally ill. And that's how I found myself in Illinois. I was in Springfield, Illinois. I was there for about a year, and then I discovered um, this opportunity uh, at Oklahoma State University in Tulsa, which was more in line with my career goals in that it had an academic component um, and still had a sick population and also had research opportunities. So that's how I made my way back. Wow, so much to unpack there. So congrats on all of your achievements. And I imagine even just culturally um, what you're doing right now and you know, moving from here and just all of the implications. So congrats on all of that. Um, what, is there anything special about Springfield, Illinois, when you mentioned SMI? Do they have a higher population of SMI? Or what's special about Springfield, Illinois? Never heard that correlation before. So good. Good question. Excellent question. So Springfield, Illinois actually has one of the federal prisons um, 
uh, in the U.S. and so it has a high qual- quantity of forensic oh, I see. I psychiatry, see. I see. psychiatric I see. needs. Uh... And then I am not a forensic psychiatrist by training, but I had to learn rapidly and on the job at Andrew McFarland Mental Health Center. The name has now been changed to Elizabeth. That's what I. That's that's the importance. Thank you. And I imagine for like researchers having access to those population convenience sampling um, will be very very helpful to kind of estimate some prevalence and potentially rule out some interventions. Um, growing up in Lahore, Pakistan, and all of that, were there some certain events in your life that kind of pushed you towards medicine, especially psychiatric yeah, medicine as well, or psychiatry? I was, I was relatively open uh, about um, medicine versus something else. I know I like science, and I know I know I like you know, working with my hands and science. Um, and then, in terms of psychiatry, I was actually split between other options and psychiatry, but it ended up being a positive experience at the Oklahoma City mm, Crisis mm, Center, the mm. OTRIP in Oklahoma City Crisis Care Center in Oklahoma City, and a great mentor. Who, um, and they had a patient who was very sick with schizophrenia at the time. That kind of, you know, and made the decision for me. Thank you for that. And I, it's very um, spot on how you talked about mentoring, which we'll explore later on. So you also have a degree in public health with a focus on epidemiology. I imagine going to medical school wasn't like a walk in the park. Uh, what inspired you to go get another degree in um, public health, especially one focused on epidemiology? And how do you intersect that with um, psychiatry? So that's also a very good question. I've learned after I've graduated that there are a lot of opportunities that this MPH opens for me. Specifically, when I uh, when I was interviewing for jobs, a lot of the interviewers were interested in how um, the MPH in epidemiology, um, how I plan to use that in my career. And I know that in my previous roles, um, I've been asked to kind of take on more responsibilities in the program development, program evaluation yeah. side of things um, by virtue of by virtue of my MPH. And you know, psychiatry as something that has a great community um, impact. And I, and I've 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 so far learned that my my skills that I've gained, the knowledge that I've gained from um, from my degree, the NPH in epidemiology has been quite helpful there. I see. Well, thank you. So um, for those who might be listening, maybe those that might be in the early phase of college or people from your path, like be those wanting to pursue medicine or um, someone listening from a remote part of um, Pakistan or India or Nigeria, actually for young girls, what would be some just, you know, um, words of encouragement to kind of keep pushing towards their goal because I imagine you experienced a lot of um, there were so many challenges getting where you are which we'll still talk about in a bit but what would be some kind of words of encouragement for people listening I would say that what was helpful for me 
to learn over the years is to go easy on yourself. Be kind to yourself, practice some self-compassion. That's <laughs> very straight to the point. Thank you for that. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about re-engaging with research. You did mention that in your bio. What exactly about, what was that about and what would be your goals in this regard? You know, it's uh, it, it's that had sounded, you know, really idealistic that I would have a in, impactful research career. I would be a good clinician and I would be a great teacher. This kind of is the trifecta that I was looking for in a job and what OSU offers me. But in reality, I've fallen kind of quite behind and I haven't um, been able to take advantage of the collaborative opportunities available. Individuals have reached out to me um, about ongoing clinical trials and wanting and wanting to publish and wanting to, you know, just have, have these conversations. But I, I, I haven't been able to um, take advantage of that. And I, you know, as the year has gone on, since this is my first year at OSU, OSU, um, I've, you know, kind of realizing that I should get more serious about um, furthering my research career. Wow. Well, congrats, by the way, on your position. So you just started your role at OSU, it seems? Yes, I started in January. Oh, congrats. Um, I imagine that as, an, um, as a newly hired a new hire, um, it's really maybe taking a lot to kind of get comfortable in your role and then even, you know, begin your work. Um, could you, are you at liberty to tell us what your job description is? Yes, the official title is Clinical Associate Professor in Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine. And I'll honestly answer your question. Um, it's been a yeah. hard transition. It's still actually quite difficult unexpectedly um i mean there are a variety of reasons i mean theories as to why it's been hard to adjust to this job um but i'm still uh, very much trying to find my footing mm-hmm. what would you say is the hardest beat for you um again to be completely honest i think that the interpersonal interactions and the political environment of so Tulsa Center of Behavioral Health is a state facility that's where I'm physically Mm. based but my employer is Oklahoma State University Uh, OSU and their residents and their students work Mm. under me at TCBH so that a dual role however you would like to describe it has created um, difficulty but I'm I'm continuing to work on it. I have support from um, both from individuals on both sides of um, on both sides, so uh, it'll get better. It's just yeah, taking a yeah. while. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it's any consolation, um, not to minimize what you're going through, but I know that with most people, and even from my experience, starting a new position comes with a lot of adjustment. But with time, and it also sounds like you have a lot of support, you finally find your foot, your ground, your your standing, and then you know you you kind of find your path. So just give it time. It could be growing pains and just trying to adjust to a totally different environment. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. So let's talk about your research. Um, your research interests um, include treatment refractory psychotic symptoms in individuals with um, schizophrenia. How would you explain your research to a fifth grader and what's the implication of your research? Fifth grader, you said? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say some people can get sick and they think about things differently and I find that interesting and I want to learn more about such people because the inform- because that'll help us all develop better treatments. Oh, that is so beautiful. And um, I imagine that um, with, I, I guess for me, what I'm absolutely curious to find out from you would be why schizophrenia, right? Um, so personality disorders, you're, you're the expert when it comes to this. You have, you know, different kinds. There's the avoidant, there's the, I think they have the clusters A, B, C. And of all the clusters and even the subtypes within them, what exactly about schizophrenia um, got you interested in exploring? Right. I, it, so generally we all, at least in medicine, have a predisposition or a liking towards acute conditions versus chronic conditions and then further going along those lines some of us like to see short-term results and don't find it gratifying at all to wait and wait and wait years to see if the patient gets better some of us and and then some of this is reversed so we all have our own you mentioned personality disorder so we all have a personality so my personality is such that I am more drawn to people who are debilitated or mm. really, really ill. Um, mm. And the official title category for that is SMI, serious mental yeah, illness. Serious mental illness, yeah. The way that looks in psychiatry, the bread and butter of my job, inpatient psychiatry, anywhere is three big diagnoses, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, and then schizophrenia or psychotic disorders in, in general. Of those three, I'll be the first to admit I have a difficult time interacting with and treating individuals who are manic, who have bipolar disorder. I, yeah. Of course, I see them every day. Half of my list right now is people who have some version of bipolar. Major depressive disorder is a complicated illness in that it is the most psychosocial of the illnesses. And in this day and age, it's depression. Acceptable in a way. Oh, yeah, I have depression, right? People just say it. Right. And then also, unfortunately, in this country, has become quite medical legal. 
So yeah, people. I, I'm having thoughts of killing myself. Next thing you know, the cops are there and they're being cuffed and they're. So I'm having. I have some trouble with that. So, so with with psych, psychotic spectrum disorders or schizophrenia, they're typically. If they have positive symptoms, an example of which is delusions, more others are um, hallucinations, and they're able to be put on the correct medication regimen, they're able to have cognitive rehabilitation. They can go on to be you know, quite functional well, and yeah. happy, fulfilling lives. So they're not usually quite violent. Um, that's actually a misconception in the media. Hollywood is to blame for the, oh, yeah, the picture yeah. of the crazy person carrying a yeah. knife. Yeah, yeah. They're often even more likely to be the victims of crimes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And going back to my third year experience, which actually, third year medical student experience, which brought me into the field to begin with, you know, the individual I'm referencing at the time at the Oklahoma Crisis Care Center in Oklahoma City was a young female, 1920, had been relatively functional, underwent some trauma involving sex trafficking, and then mm. and then had developed symptoms such that she was hallucinating, etc. for six months. You need six months mm. to develop mm. a to be given a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And then so I saw how this um my mentor, Dr. Reader, was her, is her name. I'm not sure where she is now. Um, the way with which she approached this young female and not just medication-wise and not just her own clinical intervention, but involving the community supports, the case managers of the safe house she was going to live at, um, uh, the nurses, etc., and involved me, was re- I believe changed this woman's life because what was going to happen if this woman had not come into Oklahoma Crisis Care um, Center, she would have been on the streets and been taken advantage of by unkind people like she already had. And she, anytime, if she even thought of reporting it, her disease, her mental illness would be so severe that every police officer, every judge, or every etc would call her crazy she's delusional and she was quite sick she was delusional Mm. so what we Mm. did we got her on correct medication and she was able to get to the point where she could have a rational conversation could separate what what happened and what didn't happen so person is basically being out of touch with reality so her reality then, as a result of our intervention, became more and more in line with what we would call what we would call normal. She went from being aggressive, aggressive in the sense that she would start making accusations when we went and talked to her. You're doing mm. this to me. You're doing that to me. Paranoia, perturbatory delusions, mm. if you want to use words. She mm. she went from all of that. Being actually quite sad, and oh, this is what's happened to me. I'm just 20. I I don't know, 
exactly how this happened. She became much more likely to take her medication by mouth. We do have a system in inpatient psychiatry of um, restraining patients for the safety of themselves or others. There can be physical restraints and chemical restraints. So we moved gradually, moved away from this restraint um, process. She began orally taking her medicines and then I you know I was there for four weeks I think um, and then by the time I was leaving um, the team had moved towards getting her into a safe house getting her sheltered employment etc so I believe that intervention of someone who had, had developed schizophrenia at a young age changed that woman's life huh. wow thanks for sharing that thank you so much for sharing that Man, I can't even imagine just how um, how much how much work it goes into getting your work done. You know, it's not just the research aspect of it, but also the clinical aspect of it, right? And um, so let's let's switch gears a little bit to talk about the research part of it because if, if, it seems like you're trying to merge those two at this phase of your life. Um, if you could get funded for your research without having to worry about the stress of having to go. Um, through grant writing and hoping to get funded, what would be your what's your most burning um, research question that you like to address through a funded grant at this moment? Generally, I would like to see if we can better treat, aka, have less relapse for individuals with schizophrenia to. Be- have to have them return to their baseline functionality quicker and less hospitalization now the intervention may that be medication or um electroconvulsive shock therapy ect or transcranial magnetic stimulation tms or a combination thereof i'm wanting to find the magic magic balance of that so there's less um Less reduction in quality of life, less disability. They can these individuals can have happy, healthy families like you and I have, yeah. jobs and less less involvement in the criminal system. They go to jail yeah. and they're just in yeah. jail. So jail to mm-hmm. homeless shelter to hospital. I'm trying to break that cycle. Uh, that's that's a sad bit of it. Um, I, I have a strong suspicion that my very next question is something you can maybe relate to because I think our cultures are similar. I'm Nigerian born, um, moved to the U.S. a while ago, uh, a little, a lot later than you did when you moved from Pakistan here. Um, and I know in both of our cultures, men- there's a lot of stigma around mental health. It's getting better um, as far as acceptance. Um, but how do you harmonize that? Because I'm Nigerian, but I live in the U.S., so I'm not American. But um, I, I've seen a lot of cultural shifts in my head. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more accepting of some things than I would have been if I was in Nigeria. But how do you um, harmonize that um, aspect of your you being you know, culturally Pakistani and especially within your community where there's not a lot of acceptance of mental health issues and even maybe being on meds for mental health? How are you able to navigate those two parts of you? Thank you for asking that question. I don't know if someone else were interviewing me or doing this podcast, if they would have, but I'm grateful for you, to you to start for asking that question. So this is something that if I start talking about, you and I will be talking till the end of days. So I (laughs) I I will just try my best. It's complicated. 
Um, mm. It's very hard to harmonize that as an immigrant whose nuclear family is in the United States, who spent her formative years in Pakistan, and had a has a strong connection to the country, and then is and then now is in the field daily working to improve outcomes and quality of life for Oklahomans, it becomes challenging to reconcile or harmonize, to use your words, that cultural difference of where I came from and where I currently am. That's difficult. I wouldn't say that I've had any success with it. I would say that it's something I'm always trying to talk about, trying to find people to talk about with. Um, so regarding regarding stigma, I would say that there's actually a fair amount of stigma about psychiatry and mental health in the U.S. It's unfortunate, but there's more and more of that coming up. R- rural Oklahoma, for example. Um, the rural part of the state is also needs a, quite a lot of education. In that regard, I would say is actually quite similar to the heart mm. of Pakistan, which we consider a third world country, poor, etc. The community. There is a solid, undeniable lack of respect and credibility for individuals Mm. who are psychiatrists. We Mm. do not enjoy the same privileges as our our counterparts who are internists, pediatricians, general surgeons, etc. Even though there are quite a bit of psychiatrists, and you know, I'm talking about the the immigrant population, so those individuals who have settled in in the United States, in Oklahoma specifically. So again, again, this this ecosystem, this microculture, however you want to describe it, becomes how to deal or how to assimilate, again, becomes one of compromises and coping. So I've just, I continue to find good people to surround myself with, um, try to do my best, and understand when to say no and have strong boundaries and strong lines that I'm not willing to willing to cross. And that's a generic, a general answer, but the topic is near and dear to my heart. It's hard to talk about as well because it's not yeah. something that's academic to me. It's a lived experience. Um, so again, I would just thank you for asking the question. I think it's an important one. Oh, yeah. And thanks for um, attempting to answer it. I didn't think it was going to be a perfect answer, but I just noted that observation as we were talking because I can relate to some aspects of that, like how you your practice kind of even evolves because you know there's so much in your country that you can help out with, but but you know that it's a different kind of, um, um, what's the word, framework. And, there's, and you have that passion and you have just this drive to like, you know, help you know as many people as you can as you can 
and you just wish that it was just so, so easy to cut those two things across so but thanks for attempting to answer that and you know um i can definitely see all of the empathy that comes with you and just how very passionate you are especially for those who have been um mislabeled and cast aside in society so thanks for all you do let's just keep exploring your story so far um so um are you do you have a family by the way are you married do you have kids or you by yourself no i have two dogs a cat a hedgehog a hedgehog you heard me okay i don't think i've ever met anyone with a hedgehog tell me tell me so what's your hedgehog's name (laughs) his full name is tagwick kimberly sonic and you go by <laughs> yeah. tag is actually tag. African pygmy hedgehog. I don't even know they had subtypes. Uh, I I bet you they're gonna be playing a, a game of tag anytime soon with tag. Why a hedgehog? Uh, and how do you keep them alive? Oh, thankfully I've had no problem with that. Um, Knock on wood. <laughs> actually, you know, I'm grateful because you know, I learned about it, read up on it. Um, that their lifespan is between four and six years, and he's currently. Did you say sixty years? No, 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 four and six. Oh, I'm like sixty years. I ain't keeping no pet for sixty years. Oh, six years. Okay, okay, got it, got it. So he's currently five years old. So when I when I moved <gasps> oh. to Tulsa, you know, they don't have preventive health like we do for cats and dogs. Vaccines. We don't even have for 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 human beings. So this is the US. <laughs> the healthcare system is very robust. But sorry, no, right? I digress. No, Go ahead. <laughs> when, when, when I took him to the uh, the exotic vet, I was just asking. You know, the uh, lifespan I've heard is between four and six years. He's five years old. What should I be expecting? And the gentleman, the the vet, said, "Well, he's." This hedgehog, Tag, is in very good health. He's not obese. You're taking very good care of him. And I've seen um, such healthy hedgehogs live till about 10. So so that made me very happy. That's good. That's good. Why hedgehogs in particular? Are those animals you like? I just, you know. So... I like... So this is the wrong answer to give and I'm sure that a lot of people who are more knowledgeable about hedgehogs and manage to listen to this podcast will be unhappy but I will still give the correct reason. I (laughs) thought that hedgehogs from all the Instagram things I was looking at in residency Mm -hmm. looked very cute and cuddly. However, I have (laughs) since learned they are solitary animals and are not really cuddly. No. In, In general, now, the spikes. <laughs> they have spikes. My my hedgehog, well, my hedgehog is, I handle him, right? So I've handled him from birth. So with me, uh, he's cuddly and he'll walk on me and sleep on me and all of that. But oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he knows my scent. So at night, when I unlock his cage, you know, he'll walk into my, he'll crawl into my room. He, what? Yeah. He, he comes by himself and will come by my bed and I'll pick him up. So. And the dogs and cat don't bother tag no, because he has spikes. So, oh, uh, got uh, it. I have a puppy when I had I, my my uh, mixed breed dog. I had him when he was a puppy, and he's just extremely energetic, and he's always trying to paw 
tag and okay. about <laughs> him, and then he has spikes. So now he and learn the hard way. Yeah. 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 You know, I just thought of if you don't want people bugging you, just grow spikes. That's like a good defense mechanism. I should put that down on my to-do list. Grow more spikes. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. Um, but I guess what was a what was you know driving at was just you know um self-care tips you have. You're female. You're a minority. I can use that word because I'm minority as well. You're occupying a space that um, is sometimes often controversial because psychiatry as a branch of medicine has gone through so many um, issues of acceptance and public you know, acceptance, especially to be here. What are some ways you're taking care of? And then you work with the mind, which is, you know, can be quite as abstract, right? And, and, but it's so important because that's like the seat of judgment for so many things. And it's very important to, you know, um, and then you work with even the minority of the minority, which are SMI population. How do you take care of yourself? To be very concrete, I um, I maintain my faith. So I'm Muslim. I try to okay. be supposed to offer prayers five times a day. Five times a day, yeah. I do as mm-hmm. much as I can. Um, so I maintain my faith. Um, and then the other more concrete things I do is I like taking baths. Okay. So the bath, the bubble bath, All I was looking at all. There's a whole world. That oh, yeah. of self care that has capitalized and commercialized um, on USA, the, yay! <laughs> on, 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 on the concept, and I'm very much yeah. sucked into it. But um, <laughs> so I like I, I like baths. Um, I like to go to spas. Um, I like to go to like if I'm going on a vacation or getting an Airbnb, I will try to go to a place that has a hot tub. Um, mm. I like I have. I have pets, I have dogs, they're young dogs, so I go out in Tulsa, close to the Turkey Mountain area, I go hike with them. I spend a lot of time with my pets, it's proven to be therapeutic, um, Mm. clinically for dogs, the the therapeutic relationship with humans. And, you know, I offer, I offer my prayers and when things get yeah. hard, which, you know, they often are, I um, use that to, to care for myself. Okay. I like that, you know, so um, your religion and spirituality and some practical, other practical things like baths, baths, just, you know, taking care of yourself. Good, good. Um, your current role, you mentioned earlier on about working with residents. So I imagine there's some form of experiential tr- teaching you have to do. As part of the job, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I have, yeah. I mean, it's it's a residency program. Yes. And yeah. I'm the associate program director of the residency oh, wow. program. Wow, wow, wow! Do you have some didactic teachings as well, like in a classroom? Absolutely. Wow. I teach the residents in a formal classroom setting. I teach the medical students in a formal classroom setting, and then every day I teach I teach the residents. Uh, clinically, so on yeah. rounds, more grounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Now, as someone who's undergone additional postgraduate training in medical education, um, and also with your um, advanced degree in public health, what insight can you share about effective teaching methods or strategies for people who are in the field of psychiatry, for educators in the field of psychiatry? Yeah, I really learned about how much there is to that question after I completed my training to teach in medicine, the certificate program that I was referencing as the additional post 
graduate mm-hmm. medical training. It was a six-month program, but completely virtual, through Harvard Medical School. And I've learned just the depth to that question. And I, to be completely honest with you, I still am, you know, as relatively junior faculty, I'm finding my style, I'm finding things that work, and some don't. And I've learned to accept the caveat that what works for resident A, resident B will mm. be just like. Mm. But mm. to that, again, as junior faculty, also personality. Sometimes I find myself struggling with negative feedback or complaints yeah. about myself, but just learning that's going to be a part of a part of life. But some things that I've learned that are helpful is transparency. So I I do my best to be direct in my expectations of my learners, uh, certainly in the goals and objectives of my lectures, um, and then circling back, touching back, um, but trying to touch base at the end of a module or, or a month. Well, were you able to learn what I thought mm-hmm. you'd learned? And if not, please provide me feedback. And residents sometimes are scared to do that. They fear not there, I'm there attending, I may retaliate. Um, in that sense, there's not much I can do. Um, the students, my medical students who rotate with me are have been really good about giving me good feedback. So I think what's been helpful to me that I've learned from that course is that there are different styles and I'm still experimenting with that but uh, on my day-to-day I've learned it's helpful to be direct with with learners I like that transparency and being direct um good now if you could switch roles with any fictional psychiatrist or epidemiologist from literature or film who would it be and what would you like to experience in your shoes Oh, you know, this is an interesting question because I still feel like all the psychiatrists in movies have been excessively glamorized. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I I'll have to think about that one. I would say if I had to switch uh, someone who's fictional. Off of my head, nothing comes to mind. I'll have to think about it because I just generally haven't felt I've seen anyone yeah. I can relate. Yeah. It's always they're doing something good, but it's unrealistic, or they're yeah. using their power. <laughs> oh, exaggerated for <laughs> for viewing purposes, right? Yeah, exactly. that's okay. That's okay. Let's still stay within the time travel. So, if you could travel back in time to give your younger self one piece of advice related to your career, knowing everything you know now and given that hindsight is 2020, what would it be? Calm down. Ah. <laughs> Just because like you said, hindsight is 2020, so I can say this yeah. now, but mm. just the amount of stress and self-created anxiety that a lot of us put on ourselves you know it's been more and more research comes out every day about the 
negative effects of chronic inflammation or chronic stress on the stress, human body. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. you know, there's functional MRI studies to look at different areas of the brain and then yeah, the association yeah. of that with cortisol spikes. I mean, this is all knowledge that, that I have now. But even anecdotally, if I weren't aware of this, of this um, research evidence, I think I would have... I would, I would tell my younger self to go to that concert you're going to skip because you have to study. Or, <laughs> I mean, th- these types of things, just do them. I like that. Um, calm down. And I think earlier on you had said um, being going easy on oneself, you know. So that's just, I like, just tying those two points. It's really been um, very nice chatting with you. Um, I have learned a lot about you and your passion for just what you do shines through. So I have no doubt that even in your current role, though there's still a bit of adjustment process going on, I have no doubt you find your foot and you keep breaking you know, more grounds. I just want to say thank you so much for your time today, um, for sharing of your work, of your passion and of yourself. Um, I've learned some of all um, hedgehogs that I thought I could ever learn and so wishing you and your hedgehog long long life <laughs> thank you that <laughs> and, means and a all lot of the to between. And, and thank you for all you do and you know um, it's, it's the idea behind this podcast was really to diversify the voices and definitely your unique niche of psychiatry and epidemiology I think that's very very unique and so thank you for um filling that niche and before you go lastly what inspired you to come on the podcast today and are there other things you like to talk about that we haven't explored yet before we go you know i thought that i why did i come on on this podcast you know i am on your emails or email lists etc and i keep seeing that oh the college of public health is doing this the college of public health is doing that i know the doctor Julie Stoner passed away unexpectedly and then there's just a lot yeah. that I've been hearing about uh, the College of Public Health so and I had a good experience um, with I think you all have some really admirable um, uh, educators um, educators on staff so I, I, I thought this podcast was cool I thought it had a good mission and I thought that I would try to get some get my 15 minutes <laughs> thank you and i hope it was worth it too for you i hope you you enjoyed the time here in any event thank you once again and um if you ever want to come back and maybe talk about more stuff and expand on what we're talking about today always please reach out do not hesitate to reach out I just want to say thank you so much for joining today and thank you thank awesome. you dr thank Suffers. You. all right well enjoy the rest of your weekend all right bye Wow. Um, so that was the podcast, the Girl Oklahoma podcast show. If you love this episode, there's plenty more where that came from. Um, check us out on Instagram at the Girl Oklahoma podcast. And um, we are also on Podbean. That's our official podcast listening app. We can get a podcast on any other platform. And if you'd like to be a part of the podcast, just reach out. Our email address and contact information will be in the show notes. In any event, my name is Dr. Gunsanya from the OSCTR, and thank you for tuning in today. Bye.